Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd giveth his life for the sheep. But he that is an hireling and not the shepherd, whose own the sheep are not, seeth the wolf coming and leaveth the sheep and fleeth. And the wolf catcheth them and scattereth the sheep. The hireling fleeth because he is an hireling and careth not for the sheep. I am the good shepherd and know my sheep and am known of mine even as the Father knoweth me and I know the Father and I lay down my life for the sheep. And other sheep I have which are not of this fold, them also I must bring and they shall hear my voice and there shall be one flock and one shepherd. This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise, Praise be to thee, O Christ. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd giveth his life for his sheep. And other sheep I have which are not of this fold, then also must I bring them. And they shall hear my voice, and there shall be one flock and one shepherd. Amen. Step back in time and imagine, if you can, just for a moment, a family preparing for Passover some 2,000 years ago. Most families didn't have flocks of sheep. Most families would depend on the shepherds to bring the lambs to Jerusalem every spring. A few days before the holiday, each family would purchase a lamb. The father bargained for the lamb and purchased it. The family took it home, and you can imagine what an impact it had on that household. Families had to house the lamb for a few days. Children would pet it, mothers would feed it, everyone would hear it and smell it. More than likely, many tried to ignore the lamb. After all, it was a condemned creature. That, however, would have been impossible. And that's what made Passover so different. Unlike the daily sacrifices which most people didn't see, everyone lived with the Passover lamb for a few days, and everyone realized why this lamb would die when the hour came. This lamb, a child would quickly come to understand, will die because of my sins. There must have been a nationwide flood of tears over such a loss. It was quite an object lesson the Hebrew, Hebrews in those days were taking home with them. And on my way here to London this week by train through the Kent countryside, there were tiny lambs in the fields, their mothers close to the little bodies, nuzzling, loving, and feeding them. A pastoral picture, if ever there was one, of the Good Shepherd. So I wonder what thoughts come to your mind when sheep are mentioned. I suppose at the start of an intense electoral campaign, some of you are thinking of Theresa May, Jeremy Corbyn, and Tim Farron acting as shepherds, trying to herd a diverse, unpredictable, and brain-befuddled flock into their appropriate voting pen on June the 8th, using all the powers of persuasion at their disposal, and probably not adverse to scaring us with threats to our security, safety, and economic well-being. Both Old and New Testaments of the Bible are crammed full of references to sheep. 
Someone who is counted finds them mentioned over about 500 times. Allegory and metaphor had to be based on themes familiar to the people of those times. But I think it is briefly worth reflecting on some key differences between modern sheep rearing and the shepherds and sheep of biblical times. The main difference is the use to which the sheep were to be put. And the clue is in mint sauce, something children have not been averse to shouting at sheep on an occasion. Farmers today are mainly in the business of rearing young sheep for not more than a year with a tender and tasty lamb product in mind. Whether New Zealand or Welsh, the life of sheep bred for meat is therefore extremely short, and there is little or no bond established today between sheep and shepherd. Compare this to our sheep in the Bible, tended instead over a long period, primarily for their milk and wool, and perhaps only eaten much later in life as full-flavored mutton. Their skins were used for clothing and wall hangings, and horns used as musical instruments. There was time for a close bond to be established between sheep and shepherd, a bond that was essentially based on trust and protection. As well as dangerous predators such as wolves and wild dogs to which sheep had no defense, any sheep left out unsupervised were equally prey to hungry humans. And this difference in the purpose of sheep rearing is reflected in the role of the shepherd. In biblical times, it was customary for the sheep to follow the shepherd. They knew his voice and recognized that safety lay in obediently going where he went. Sometimes to assist, it was the practice for a castrated ram to have a bell around his neck. He was the bell weather. Where he went with his gently sounding bell, the other sheep would duly follow. And next time you hear of a bell weather constituency, where the country as a whole regularly follows the political choice of one particular constituency, you will know where the term comes from. The walled sheepfold was a feature found in most towns and villages in the Eastern Mediterranean. Essentially, it was usually a cooperative venture between shepherds that would help ensure the safety of their flocks overnight from thieves and predators. The shepherds could each bring their individual flocks into the town at night where they would be collectively guarded within a walled enclosure by a gatekeeper who knew the shepherds. Perhaps one of their number taking turns on a rotor basis or perhaps someone less physically active specifically tasked to protect all the sheep overnight. Where flocks were mixed together, they were easily separated come morning. The sheep all knew the voice and call of their own trusted shepherd. So Jesus uses a familiar scenario to demonstrate how he is Israel's true shepherd and implies that the Pharisees and other Jewish leaders are evil shepherds. Evil shepherds to whom Jesus refers as thieves and robbers do not dare present themselves to the doorkeeper because he will know them for what they are and will not grant them access to the sheep since the intent is to steal sheep and to kill them. If they are to gain entrance into the sheepfold, they must enter by some other way rather than through the door. They might, for example, climb over the wall. But the way people seek to gain access makes it clear even to the sheep that they are up to no good. The genuine shepherd enters the sheepfold in a way that demonstrates his claim to his sheep is legitimate. 
He or she comes to the doorkeeper who recognizes him and grants him access through the door to the sheep. The general meaning of this should be clear, but over the centuries, many who have claimed to be shepherds of God's flock most certainly are not. And included in that number would be the Pharisees and other Jewish leaders who were intent on opposing Jesus. Also, in our view, could be those false shepherds yet to appear. In Matthew chapter 24, Jesus says, watch out that no one deceives you, for many will come in my name, claiming I am the Christ and will deceive many. In the past, present, and future, false shepherds are alive and alike in that they use and abuse the sheep and maybe ourselves as well, maybe for their own financial interests or trying to gain power and leadership. They simply don't meet the job description of a true shepherd as described in Ezekiel and elsewhere. So let's just agree that Jesus is the true shepherd, the Messiah, the one with the biblical qualification and the access to the door which Jesus refers to when he says, as the Father knows me, even so know I the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. And the passage we have read as our gospel today is part of an important message being delivered to an increasingly hostile audience. Using the easy familiarity of pastoral practice as the basis for his teaching, Jesus asserts in John 10 that he has come in fulfillment of prophecy to lead his favored flock, namely the Jewish people, away from the false shepherds and hirelings, namely the Pharisees who do not genuinely care for the well-being of that flock and that Jesus will lay down his life for his flock, whilst the false shepherds will not stay when danger looms. But he does not stop there in the allegory he is making. He also says any one of us can join his flock who trusts in him. It is open to Gentiles who were regarded by the Pharisees as the heathen. Moreover, he is not just the gate controlling who comes into this particular sheepfold, but that all the sheepfolds are his, and he will act as one shepherd to one flock, wherever the folds may be. The fold has no doorkeeper other than Jesus. His message here to the Jews, the chosen people, is uncompromising. You do not believe because you do not belong to my sheep. And in John 10, he expands his ministry to the, all that will listen to the word and believe in him. My sheep hear my voice, I know them, and they follow me. If we all here today took this Eastertide occasion to talk to each other, welcome those who might well be concerned with or seeking faith, those who would perhaps be thinking of following Jesus, those who knew very little or nothing of this marvelous and risen Messiah, but who might wish to hear his voice, those starting a journey to recognize Jesus as their own good shepherd, but first need to know they can trust him. We are but a tiny portion of the sheep in the sheepfold, but we can extend our number by getting to know his voice better through reading the Bible, learning to recognize Jesus as the Messiah, and avoiding following any false shepherds. Are we in God's flock? Do we hear what he is saying to us? Will he recognize us of one of his own? Are we prepared 
to put our trust in him and him alone. Amen.